0: I mean, John chapter 2, okay, starting from verse 1, and the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. So in chapter 1, verse 43, Jesus went into Galilee and found Philip, who found Nathaniel, if you remember that from last week. So they've now been invited to a wedding. And it made me think a bit this, it kind of he's, he's just been invited along to this wedding. I remember going to a... Wedding of a friend, um, and it was uh, he was ma- marrying. I can't remember what country it was, it was a country in West Africa. This this girl, and it was literally every day, building up to the wedding, there was just more people being invited. <laughs> so it was like, it was, like I, I was, uh, I stood in as the best man, and I was trying to organize. And it was just like her dad was just, Oh, I remember this person, a friend of this one, they're coming this, and we kept having to rearrange the tables and rearrange the tables. It was just getting ridiculous. And it kind of makes you think of this a little bit. They kind of turned up there, they've just been invited to this wedding as well. And it's probably quite quite a big wedding and you know, not a bad way of doing it. I'd imagine that it wasn't sort of a sit-down sort of, um, you know, f- you know, where everything's set and you've got places and little, you know, how they do in England now, little set places on there. And everyone spends thousands of pounds to have a few select people. But, um, yeah, so I think it's something like that. And anyway, so let's have a look from verse 3. So obviously, um, you know, John 2... You know, this is abuse, this, this passage, and we're going to have a look at, this, look at this today. So from verse 3, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six waterpots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the waterpots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, saith unto him, every man at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. And there you have it, according to our worldly, liberal, so-called Christians, Jesus' first miracle was to create a massive booze- up. wasn't it? Jesus, according to many in fact, probably according to the majority of so-called Christians, Jesus' first miracle was to basically organize and create just a massive booze- up. Yeah, with just just liters and liters of wine after they're already well drunk, just just getting stuck in, you know, everyone's just getting wrecked, and Jesus was like, I'm going to start my ministry in style. And this is how they look at it, don't they? And this is what people, then they try and use this passage. And, um, but is that really what happened? Is that really what happened? Second Timothy 2.15, you don't have to turn that says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So if there's something that doesn't seem to add up, and this doesn't seem to add up by those standards, does it? God wants us to study, doesn't he? God wants us to study, then we won't be ashamed when we rightly divide the word of truth, will we? And I'm not talking about rightly dividing so-called dispensations. Multiple Gospels, special chosen people. I think we, uh, we spoke about that briefly this morning. A secret half-coming of Jesus where we all get raptured at any minute. And have you heard that where they try and say they haven't rightly divided the word? And apparently you've got to rightly divide all these different dispensations and Gospels and everything else. But uh, that's not what that's talking about, is it? Um, but the mainstream view of this event definitely doesn't add up, does it? A mainstream view, and it is a mainstream view, um, that Jesus turned up at the wedding and felt the need to get everyone steaming, <laughs> because that's basically what they're saying, aren't they? And it is, I mean, I'm laughing, but really, it, it's, it's, it's blasphemous, really, isn't it? And it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, okay, so some might say, well, well, maybe it was just Mary. He was just, you know, getting Mary. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with being Mary? Well, should we have a look at the quick facts? So let's look at the facts that are there. So verse 3, it said, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. So in case you're not aware, the word wine refers to both fermented and unfermented wine in the Bible, okay? Unfermented juice. Um, Turn to Genesis 9. So Genesis 9 is the first use of the word wine in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 9, and this is talking about Noah, verse 21, and it, just, and it says, and he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. Okay, and we're not going to go into the whole story there, but I think everyone's probably aware of it. Um, but clearly there, that's talking about alcoholic wine, isn't it? Clearly they drank of the wine and was drunken. Okay, that's pretty obvious. But turn to Isaiah 65, Isaiah ch- chapter 65, for an example of it clearly referring to unfermented juice so Isaiah 65 and verse 8, Isaiah 65, 8, thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servant's sakes, that I may not destroy them all, so the, this new wine is clearly found in the cluster, that's a cluster of grapes, yeah, okay, that's clearly not fermented, now, you might, People might look at that and go, "Oh, so when it's new wine?" Okay, so new wine. Well, no. Have a look at uh, what well, you in Isaiah. Go to chapter sixteen now. There, it's called new wine. But in Isaiah chapter sixteen, verse ten. Isaiah 16:10 says, And gladness is taken away, and joy out of the plentiful field. And in the vineyards there shall be no singing, neither shall there be shouting. The treaders shall tread out no wine in their presses. I have made their vintage shouting to cease. Okay, treading out wine in their presses, you can't tread out alcoholic wine out of a grape. So clearly here it's talking about unfermented wine again. Okay. So why didn't they just call it juice? Well, basically, the various Hebrew words, there's more than one with the Hebrew, that, that a translator's wine don't specify whether it's fermented or not, okay? So they don't specify, and it's not a real translator's job to decide that for us, is it? It's not a translator's job to, for them to decide, because that's not then a true translation, is it? Okay, it's not their job to do that. It's the same with the Greek word, there's, I think there's one Greek word for that. And again, it's not the translator's job to decide whether that's referring to fermented or unfermented. Not a proper translator. Um, But you don't have to go back to the Greek or Hebrew, as we've seen, because we can see in the context sometimes. Other times you can't see, but that doesn't mean that that there's a way of seeing. That's just the way it is in our preserved Word of God here. Okay, so so at this point, it's not clear here. It's not clear in, in John 2 whether it's fermented or unfermented wine. Being discussed here, is it? Okay, we don't know yet. There's no reason for us to know at this point. So Jesus saith unto a woman, "What have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come." Now, I, I I don't see this as Jesus being rude here, by the way. So some people look at that and go, "Wow, Jesus is really talking down to Mary there." Well, in John nineteen twenty six, while well up on the cross, and you can look there if you like, um, he addresses her in the same way. But he says, "When Jesus therefore saw his mother," And the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Okay, so he's addressing her as woman. But this is quite a loving thing here. He's asking the disciple to basically look after his mother. Now, I actually believe in John 2, 4, that he's asking her what she would like him to do. He's saying, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Because his hour is not yet come. Now, his hour, he's referring to his his main purpose, dying on the cross. He says in John 8, 20, These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Okay, it's talking about, his, you know, his the main purpose, isn't it, is him dying on the cross. So there he's saying to her, well, what have I to do with it? I think he's saying, well, what would you like me to do? I might be wrong there, but that's how, that's how I see that. Um, and, then, and then verse 5 kind of makes sense, because as soon as he said that, his his mother's clearly expecting him to do something because verse 5 his mother saith unto the servants whatsoever he saith unto you do it okay so straight away she answers okay whatsoever he saith unto you do it so I think he's saying what would you like me to do she says okay whatsoever he saith do it now Obviously remember that Mary knew exactly who he was from when she was visited by the angel Gabriel. So she's she knows exactly that whatever he saith, do it, yeah? Okay. Now verse six. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three Firkins apiece. Right, these aren't little pots, they're huge, huge barrels. Um I remember I remember when um I lived at a place once in Thailand and it was um Basically, they had these huge, huge vats. They were kind of like this sort of size, up to this high, just full of water. That's how you wash yourself. You basically put like a saucepan type thing in it, and you pour it over yourself, and that was like a shower, you know? And these are these sorts of size things. A firkin is eight gallons. Now, there's a bit of debate about this, exactly whether it's, you know, there's a a bit of a... And the debate is over litres, really, at the total, but it's approximately eight gallons, which is approximately around 37 litres. Um times two or three is between 74 and 111 litres six of those is a total of between 444 and 666 litres 666 guys (laughs) number codes (laughs) i just like the way that one worked out so i went with that (laughs) but okay so 440 between that so and and i think it's I would say it's widely accepted that, basically, somewhere around 600 litres total seems widely accepted. 600 litres, that's a lot, Okay, 600 litres is a lot. And by the way, Jesus just filled it all up to the brim, didn't he? There was never never any suggestion that maybe he couldn't do that again either, could he? But he filled everything up at the time. 600 litres, that's huge. If you think that, you know, a lot of people have maybe the one and a half litre bottles, but, but a litre bottle of water, 600. I mean, wine bottles, I think, come between 75 centilitres and a litre. 600 of them? Now, I don't care if you're inviting a lot of people. That is a lot, isn't it? That is a lot. Okay. So Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. That's obviously to the top. Verse 8 says, and he saith unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. Now, the governor of the feast is basically like the head waiter. Okay, he's the guy that's just, he, he's, he's in charge of the feast. It's not the person that paid for it all, because we see that in the dialogue now. Because when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. Because it's a bridegroom, obviously, who's, who's putting on the feast. Because he says, uh, we'll see in a second, but basically he didn't know where it had come from, did he? The servants knew. He assumed, didn't he, that it was from the bridegroom, okay? So he's assumed it's come from him. Because then we see in verse 10, And saith unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Now here's where those wanting to justify drinking say, see, they give the good wine, and then when people are hammered, yeah, they they can't taste the difference when it tastes like vinegar. That's what they're basically saying here. Okay, They've given a good wine, and they've got them wrecked, and now it's like, right, now we'll get out the dirty old stuff. Okay, but let's not miss that he's insinuating that people had well drunk, well drunk. He didn't say they were well drunk, he said they had well drunk, which is they've already had a good amount, yeah? They've already had a good amount. Now, Jesus has just added another 600 litres. Okay, so they've already drunk a good amount and he's just added 600 litres to it, okay? It makes no sense if it's alcohol, does it? This makes absolutely no sense if it's alcoholic wine. For example, okay, this is how I think this looks. How about we have a church wedding, and we've got a few church weddings coming up, and they've got a budget for the food and drink. Just say that there was a reception with a budget for the food and drink, okay? They buy some really nice quality juice. And when I say nice quality juice, I mean maybe it's literally just been pressed out by foot okay, so I'm not talking about, yeah, it's just the organic stuff, you know, that's been sitting in a bottle for a month or whatever else and chilled and added a bit of ascorbic acid or whatever else, no, I'm saying it's literally just been pressed, yeah, freshly pressed out, it's, it's, taste divine and and not only has it been freshly pressed but in a country where it was meant to meant to grow and everything else you know all the conditions are right for it they've got the best stuff off their best line as well and say it is grape juice doesn't have to be grape juice it could be another fruit but let's just say it's 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 just perfect grape juice it is absolutely brilliant because they said it was a good stuff didn't they okay it costs a lot so you could imagine if the groom is putting on this wedding that Maybe he says, OK, look, I'm going to make sure there's enough for everyone to have two glasses each. Yeah, that would probably be quite fair, wouldn't it? Let's let's go with two glasses, everyone. But of course, there are going to be those, aren't there, who are literally just going to knock it back. Yeah, it's not even going to touch the side. doesn't matter how good this juice is. They're just thirsty. They've seen it. It's cold. It's refreshing. Bang, straight down the hatch. Where's the second glass? It's gone, yeah? OK, now, OK. You would probably then, for those people who have now got empty glasses, what do you wanna do? Take it away from everyone else who's only had a little sip yet, they're just like savouring this really nice juice, this freshly pressed juice. No, that you would probably have a bit of the cheaper stuff then, wouldn't you? I can't afford it. I can't afford to get like 10 glasses for those gluttons who just those, you know, ones who just pour it down the throat, they just want to keep putting it back. No, so I'm gonna get some of the cheaper stuff as a backup. That would make sense, wouldn't it? They get to enjoy the good stuff, then they got the cheaper stuff as a backup. Now, especially, that would make sense in a day before mechanical presses, in a day before mechanical farming, in a day when none of that stuff, when it was literally hand-picked, hand-trodden, it was hand-watered and the rest of it, yeah? That would make sense, wouldn't it? Okay, that's going to be a real luxury item in a, in a day without refrigeration as well. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be some sort of luxury item, some fresh juice, especially the best juice as well like that. Okay, fitting for a feast wouldn't you say luxury item fitting for a feast if you want to you got the money you want to have a real f- feast that would be good now that makes a lot more sense and Jesus Christ God in the flesh we just saw last chapter who wrote the whole Bible verses like and you don't have to turn there Proverbs 21 wine is a mocker strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise Isaiah 5.22, woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, deciding as his first miracle to get everyone drunk. Yeah? That makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? Okay. It's ap- it is bizarre. It's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's crazy how anyone can look at that and go, yeah, that's Jesus Christ coming to have a big old drink up. And really what they're doing, they're justifying their own carnal lust. Yeah. That's what they're doing. They're justifying their own carnal lust to want to justify drinking to the point where they're now making out that Jesus Christ's first miracle was to get everyone sloshed. It, it's, it, but it, it's, it's, it is laughable, but there are people worldwide that still do this, and the same Christians that do this as well, that still are trying to look at this and find a way of justifying and find, finding a way that, oh, well, well, it's still... Well, who says that, you know, they're well drunks. So they didn't say they were drunk, but he just wanted to add a bit more to the party. Now, at the least, they're showing how brainwashed they've been by our alcohol-obsessed society, aren't they? At the least, they're just showing that they've been so brainwashed to look at that and go, no way could that be juice. No way could Jesus have, you know, really set forth the good juice. I mean, what sort of a drink is that? At the least, they've just been conned by this joke society where people spend literally, some people spend thousands and thousands of pounds on an old bottle of wine. I mean, give me the new bottle of wine at least for that. but thousands of pounds on, on a bottle of wine that is like decades old, while they're trying to claim they can taste all these amazing notes and tones and the rest of it in it. If it was an alcoholic, they wouldn't be interested, would they? If it was an alcoholic, they wouldn't even touch it. Um, but what does the Bible so what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about alcohol? The Bible that doesn't contradict itself. Remember that. Yeah every word of God is pure. Yeah, the Bible that doesn't contradict itself we'll turn to Proverbs 31 Proverbs chapter 31 Proverbs 31.4 31, says it is not for kings O Lemuel it is not for kings to drink wine nor for princes strong drink didn't it say it's not for kings to, to get drunk on wine not to, for kings to even drink wine nor for princes strong drink. Now, you don't have to turn there, but Revelation 1.6 says, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever, amen. Okay, we have made, been made kings, haven't we? We have been made kings and priests unto God and his Father. Okay, verse 5 there, where you are in, in Proverbs 31, says, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Because when you drink, you forget the law, don't you? When you drink, you forget the law, especially you forget the law of God. You forget the law of God. When you drink, your judgment goes. And and the truth is, anyone here that's drunk, and, and many people have only been saved for several years or whatever else, and we live in a culture where it's strange not to have drunk, unfortunately, isn't it? And anyone here will say, yes, when you drink, you forget the law of God, don't you? wow don't you and, and and the law of the land as well even that silly law oh, not all of it but some of it but but we do you forget a lot don't you you do some crazy stuff your judgment goes and, and it is it's terrible isn't it it's terrible and what Jesus Christ just wanted everyone to just forget the law of God did he is that what he wanted just to forget the law pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted? or just during the feast time that's all right it's a feast well turn to Proverbs chapter 23 so you're in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 20 Bible says be not among wine bibbers among riotous eaters of flesh for the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags that's a bit difficult if Jesus is the one paying for the booze isn't it yeah. isn't that a bit difficult if, if drinks are on him and we're told here, we're told here in those two verses, as well as not drinking to avoid drunkards and gluttons, aren't we? We're told to avoid them. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. And, you know, that can be tough, but I think, and I think probably everyone here probably has family and friends, unsaved, maybe saved, but, but especially unsaved, family and friends who you could describe as wine-bibbers and riotous eaters of flesh, couldn't you? And what does the Bible say? Don't be among them. That's the truth, isn't it? Be not among wine bibbers, among riotous seeds of flesh. Now, you could argue about whether or not that's while they're drinking or whether or not it is at all. But we need to make a stand with that, don't we? We need to make a stand. We're going to see in a minute what sort of stand we need to make. Um, okay, verse 29 there in Proverbs chapter 23. The Bible says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? who have redness of eyes. Okay, we know who it's talking about here. Woe. Woe is when you've got uncontrollable grief, isn't it? Problems, issues. Okay, and how much woe do you see and have you experienced around alcohol? So much, eh? So much woe comes from alcohol. Sorrow. Sorrow, sadness. And how many people have you seen bawling their eyes out? I'll tell you what, I've been to a lot of funerals over the years, and wow, when the drink's flowing, I mean, the sorrow is unbelievable as well. It's like drown your sorrows. No way, you just literally multiply it, don't you? And, and, and the rest of it, and, and the amount of problems, the amount of issues, the amount of heartache, heartbreak, relationships wrecked, ruined because of alcohol families ruined as well, sorrow, the, the, the beatings, the, the, the domestic violence and the rest of it that goes on with, with alcohol. Who has contentions? Again, contentions, and that could be, be out. I mean, how many fights? The, 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 the drink fueled fights out on the streets on, on a Friday, Saturday night, and sadly now probably a Sunday night and now a Thursday, as they say, it's a new weekend. It's a new Friday. And, and how much do you see that? see it everywhere, don't you? You can go to a kebab shop at midnight. I mean, it's like, you, it's like the Wild West sometimes, isn't it? Honestly, you're going in there and you're kind of like psyching yourself up. You're late at night, you want something to eat, you want something hot. You're like, right, okay, I've got a 50-50 chance of, it, of being in a brawl, you know? And it's because of the... Al- it's not because you're going in there thinking, I just so want that donna, you know, <laughs> anyone gets in my way. It's because of the alcohol, isn't it? It's because of the alcohol, the contentions, the fights, the rows. Who have babbling? who have babbling, and wow, don't drunk people babble, don't they, talk some nonsense, some rubbish, absolute rubbish, and I I, I remember years ago, a lot of my friends used to drink, and I used to have long periods where I didn't, because of, of, you know, when I was training for like a competition, and I'll go and meet them, and go and meet them, and like, you know, when we're giving tickets for these things and stuff like that, and it was so bad, wasn't it, being around these people, in an evening with them just babbling nonsense at you and wanting to you know, slurring their words, talking junk and you're just trying to put up with this stuff and wow, what an eye opener when you're stone cold sober seeing that, being around people like that. Who has wounds without cause. People do, don't they? People who go and get drunk, they come back, they don't even know how they got these injuries, these wounds, these problems, who have redness of eyes. And they do. It's one of the big telltales, isn't it? When someone's been drinking, the eyes are just red, bloodshot the eyes have just gone now do you want any of that does anyone want any of that do you think jesus just wanted them to all have that on his first the first miracle and, and yeah okay i don't think anyone here probably has been conned by that but but regardless does anyone here want that does anyone here still think yeah well now and again well just socially just some social woes, sorrow contentions <laughs> babbling wounds without cause redness of eyes just just socially you know just now and again just now and again because you know i don't think it's a real problem because you know there's a bit of wine it's not really that clear no who, who wants that and in verse 30 he tells us who gets that they that tarry long at the wine they that go to seek mixed wine and drinkers and when people are drunk they seek alcohol don't they That's why cheesy, nasty-smelling, dirty old nightclubs full of rubbish music do a thriving business after the pub shut in this country, don't they? That's why, because people are seeking more alcohol. That's why the, the, the few shops in the area that still sell alcohol late night are packed. That's why the pizza places that serve beer that still give takeaway beers, whether or not it was legal or not, I don't really know, those places were absolutely packed, even though was, they were serving up slop, and, and, and that's the truth, because people go to seek mixed wine, don't they, once they start drinking, they go to seek more, now what does verse 31 say, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his colour in the cup, when it moveth itself awry, that's saying don't even look at fermented wine, don't even look at it, so how on earth can you drink the odd glass if you're told not to look at it? And, and for me, the Bible so, it's just so clear about this because you don't have to go other unclear places to go, oh, is that talking about wine or not? I'm not sure if it's fermented or unfermented. No, because verse 31 says, look not thou upon the wine when it is red. And when it giveth his colour cut when it moveth itself, Right, that's fermentation, okay? When it's moving itself, it's f- fermenting wine. We're told not to look at it, not to even look at it. And now on that point, about be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. You can't be around them drinking, can you? You can't be around a social drinker because you're told not to look at it. So if you have family and friends that think it's okay when they invite you round to start knocking back beers and wine, okay. Oh well, I only have the one, you know, the the posh glass of wine with the meal. Or, yeah, I just have a beer with the barbecue, the kid's barbecue... You know, the, oh, we're having a kids' party. Everyone bring the bring the six packs of beer and the rest of it. And that's our culture, isn't it? It's absolutely wicked. It's absolutely wicked. We're looking after a load of kids. So everyone bring a beer, or two, or ten, or twenty, or the rest of it. Bring your own. I got invited to, to one a, a, an old friend's 40th birthday. Invited all his old friends. And on it is bring your own bottle. But bring all the kids, bring the families, the rest of it. I'm not going to. What, bring bring like bring your own bottle i'm going to be around a load of people drinking in front of my kids i told them not to even look it, and, and that's me i shouldn't be around it without my kids they i'm like with my kids yeah. i am just going to bring my kids to to watch a load of adults get drunk oh yeah great great day out there really fun but that sadly is is our world's entertainment isn't it that, that's your your average sunday family friendly pubs is advertised isn't it don't worry it's family friendly oh that's all right then <laughs> Oh, as long as it's alright to have the kids in there, come on, let's go and have a smash-up for the day, love, you know? Bring the kids along, it's alright, it's family-friendly. And, and, and you know what? That's not just what we would consider drunkards. There are people across, across this country, football, football on a Sunday with the family down the pub, isn't it? And if they're not, they're probably drinking at home. And, and, and sadly, that is it. But we're told not to even look at it. Not to look at it. So we shouldn't be around it at all. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see fermented alcohol. I, I hate it. I don't want it anywhere near me. I don't want it anywhere near my family. For that, you have to make some decisions then with family members, and you have to make that clear to them, don't you? And the thing is, they'll do that for someone who's a recovering alcoholic, won't they? i will be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, we better not. Don't worry, we'll get the non-alcoholic beer and the non-alcoholic wine that still has alcohol in it, you know, which is like, why don't you just get the grape juice? You know, get some nice fruit juice. What's wrong with you? You know, but, no, we'll get... Well, well they'll do that, won't they? But you know what? When you tell family members... They're offended when you tell them, look, I'm a Christian and the Bible says not to look at alcohol. So I'm happy to come around your house, but I'm afraid not if you're going to drink alcohol. I don't, we won't come to that. Wow, the offense. The, 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 you know, the, the kind of, you know, like what are you trying to say? You know, it's like, I, I said to someone recently, I said, look, can, this is a family. I said, can you just treat us as if we were like recovering alcoholics then? Because you would do that for them, wouldn't you? you know you'd be like yeah no problem but oh no not for the Christian how dare he because because basically because we're we're pointing out the sin aren't we because we're pointing out the sin and it is a sin don't even look at it the Bible says verse 32 says at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder I got a feeling that serpent bites and and adder stings are not good things what do you think they're not, are they? And they do bite and they do sting because at the last as well. It's not just at the end of the night, I don't think it's talking about there, because after years of drinking, wow, the effects are massive, aren't they? And, and, and not, not just the physical alcoholic, even the people that have just been regularly boozing for years and years and years. It's so bad for you. It's so bad for you, for your insides, for your organs, for your mind, you name it. Verse 33, thine eyes shall behold strange women and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Men, do you want to behold strange women? Men, do you want to behold strange women? I hope not. Wives here and and single women, you know, maybe at one day when you become wives, do you want your men to behold strange women? So do you want your men to drink? Surely not. Do we want to behold strange women? I hope not. Do we want to drink then? No. I want to be around. I don't want to be around people who are doing that and then talking about it as well. Yeah. And let's be honest. I, I, you know, I'd have a guess here that uh, I don't know what percentage, but I would say a good, good, like chunk of people that go out, people in relationships, people who are who are married, go out on the weekend, and part of the motivation is to behold strange women and to behold strange men. That's a big part of it. They go out, they get drunk and at the least it's beholding and sadly at at the worst it's a lot worse, isn't it? And it goes hand in hand with it. I mean, it's like like some of these places like a meat market, aren't they? It's absolutely terrible. Now, we don't want that, do we? Surely we don't. So why would we want to drink? Why do you even want to drink? Why would you want to have one glass and start to slightly behold strange women? I don't know how many glasses it takes you to probably behold, but but I don't know where that line is. But at the end of the day, why do you want to even risk that? Why do you want to do that? Like the sanctity of marriage, why would you want to do anything like that? And basically commit adultery in your heart, said Jesus. Yeah, yeah. But, and then he says here, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. That's not just your mouth. Yeah, the mouth utters perverse things. Being around people drinking, they talk some filth, some junk, some blasphemy, some just vile stuff. But your heart shall utter perverse things. Do you want your heart uttering perverse things? No way. Why, why would you want that? Why would you want your heart uttering perverse things? So why on earth do people still try and justify drinking alcohol? Why? What are, is it, for me, it's a no-brainer. Verse 34 says, Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. Anyone here been seasick before? Anyone been seasick? I have. It's pr- when, you, when you get travel sickness on a boat. It's pretty bad, isn't it? If you have ever been on a ferry crossing or on a small boat on some choppy waters, and you get and once you, it hits you, oh, it's horrible, isn't it? Um, did you know, by the way? I was just looking at this because he says there should be a sea that lies down in the midst of the sea. Did you know that the biggest waves aren't at the beach? You know this? So the biggest biggest waves aren't actually at the beach. They're actually internal waves in the middle of the ocean that are apparently absolutely huge. Uh, I was looking at some studies on this just briefly. I try not to get carried away with that, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, there are huge internal and external waves in the middle of the ocean. They're like really big ones, not the ones that you see the surfers on, these little puny ones. We're talking like huge ones un- under the ocean. Um, but, but not just lying down amidst the, the sea, is he that lieth up upon the top of a mast, and that's gotta be pretty grim on the top of a mast, isn't it? I mean, you're feeling the full movement there. That makes me sick thinking about that, personally. Um, but that's the feeling a drunk, many drunk people get when they're walking around vomiting everywhere and they're staggering down the street at the end of a night, and they're just, you know, they're vomiting, they can't stay upright, they have to lie down, the whole room's spinning and the rest of it. Why does anyone want to feel like that? And I know society brainwashes us that that's just having fun and the rest of it, but not for a Christian, is it? Clearly not for a Christian. Verse 35 says, They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. So drunkards both feel sick a lot of the time when they're drunk, but they also get sick more often too. So people that drink regularly, their immune system's lowered by that. They get sick a lot, pretty grim. Fights and beatings as well. There's a lot of them, aren't there? They have beaten me and I felt it not. And that's, that happens a lot. I've seen drunk people literally getting a pasting and they seem to not even feel it. But I'll tell you what they do in the morning and probably for the next week after. And a lot, sadly, a lot of time for a long time after, because there are some terrible things that, that turn out after, after drunken nights. And uh, it, it, it's, it's terrible. And, and when shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. And how many people say I'm never drinking ever again, you know, the next morning, and it can sometimes take only a few hours a day, not much longer, and they're seeking it again. And, and, and that's the truth of it, isn't it? and and that passage in Proverbs 23 just says it all and like I said I think last time we talked about this with I think it was in first Corinthians 5 Uh, for me like that's that's as far as you really need your study needs to go doesn't it okay you, you can see right wine doesn't necessarily mean alcoholic you go to Proverbs chapter 23 and it says don't look at it okay and it tells you all the many or some of the many reasons why not and that's case closed okay but like i said don't even look at it also means take your stand with your with your drunkard families and friends and anyone else in your life around your kids and and men we have a responsibility there don't we don't leave it to your wives to explain it we have a responsibility as men to explain to family friends no i'm not bringing my wife i'm not bringing my my kids i'm not coming round myself if (coughs) if you've got alcohol out in front of me i don't want to see it i'm told not to look at it okay Otherwise, I can't see you. Come round my house, don't bring any alcohol with you. And you've got to make that clear as well. People that literally think you've invited them round, it means bring a bottle. You know, they think that you're going out for a meal when the restaurants are a bit open again. It means, right, let's, let's have a drink. No, no, if you're coming, it's, it's not alcohol. And we have to make that clear, don't we? Um, and like I said, it makes no difference whether it's a sophisticated glass of wine or not. Make a stand. The Bible says don't look at it doesn't matter how sophisticated that glass of wine actually is, okay? And apparently, some of them are very sophisticated, <laughs> according to the price tag. Um, and it doesn't matter. And to be honest, there's no difference whether it's that glass of wine or a can of special brew in a brown paper bag. The truth is, it's still the same, isn't it? It's alcohol. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the truth. Okay, now verse 11, it said, In this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. And unfortunately, because of the pro-drinking brigade, it's hard to look at this miracle for what it was, isn't it? Yeah. So it's hard to look at this miracle because you just get kind of drawn in to try and explain that it wasn't a massive boozer. <laughs> now, I, I personally think that the wine is a picture of Jesus' blood given freely to all that accept the invite. That's how I see it. In Matthew 22, you don't have to turn me, but the parable likens the kingdom of heaven, doesn't it, to a marriage made for the king's son? And at the last supper, the cup is a picture of Jesus' shed blood, Yeah. So his first miracle is a limitless, basically, a limitless amount of wine, blood, given to all that come to the marriage, yeah? That's how I see that. And unfortunately, a lot of people just not even see that because they're just either seeing alcohol or trying to find ways that they're not seeing alcohol and forget that his first miracle was showing that, wasn't it? Um, okay, verse 12 says, After this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. Now, this is about 20 miles away on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, for those who are interested in that sort of thing. It's not a long way, but still a a bit of a way when you're walking, isn't it? 20 miles. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Okay, that's a 60-mile journey. And this this part of Jesus' ministry seems to only be recorded in in this gospel here. Okay, so this doesn't overlap with some of the other gospels. Um, So verse 14, it says... So when you see this in other Gospels, it's later in his ministry, um, him also kicking people out of the temple. Okay, verse 14 says, And found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, Make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. I doubt you get this story too often in the Sunday schools. I don't know. Maybe you do. I doubt they do. Um, or maybe in the kids' books. I don't think you probably get many of those in the kids' books where it's rewritten and, and you know, Jesus in a dress and all the rest of all that. Um, but, This isn't the only time that Jesus did this. So like I said, this is now a separate occasion. If you turn to Matthew chapter 21, and this is the same account that's in Luke 19 and Mark 11, but Matthew chapter 21, Matthew 21 and from verse 12, we see another time Jesus did this. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them it is written my house shall be called the house of prayer but ye have made it a den of thieves now like i said this is a few this is actually a few years later this is towards the end of his ministry and really that's interesting isn't it because you can whip sin out of the church, can't you? He literally whipped it out in what we've just seen in John chapter 2. But over time, it will creep its way back in, won't it? Yeah, yeah. You can whip it out, but if it's left alone, it will creep its way back in, won't it? And that's why some of the more common sins need regularly preaching on, don't they? Yeah. And they need regular. It's not, well, I preached that one five years ago, so that'll solve it. No, we need to be regularly preaching on, on, on the more common sins, especially in things which are starting to creep up again. And here, three years later, it's crept back in. Now, if you go, um, if you go back to, to John, John chapter 2 there, it says in verse 14, And found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the changers of money sitting. So you've got people in in the temple. They're selling oxen, sheep, doves, it says here. And this is for people to offer as a burnt sacrifice, isn't it? Okay. Who are these money changers? Who are the money changers? Well, Jews are coming from far and wide, aren't they, to Jerusalem. We would likely need to exchange their money, I think, to then from their foreign money to offer in the temple, probably with the Israeli shekel or something. That's, I think, what's going on here. Now... Although these people, all these people, are uh, all likely making some money, aren't they? The actual jobs themselves aren't sinful, okay? The jobs themselves aren't sinful. It's where they're doing them, isn't it? Okay, the job itself isn't sinful. Selling some, some livestock, changing some money for a bit of foreign exchange. That's not sinful in itself. It's where they're doing it. Now, verse 15 says, And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple, and the sheep and the oxen poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables now this is a whip Jesus drove them out with a whip so he's literally cracking the whip yeah get out get you know and just driving them all out do you think that was done gently with a smile I get the feeling that probably wasn't done gently with a smile, just coaxing them out, holding the whip there. Come on now. Come on, like these kind of images of Jesus that's pushed on us. Now, you might think, well, why wasn't he mobbed? Uh, why didn't they fight back? Why they, like, what are you doing? You're turning over all my money. Like, who is this guy? But no, I don't know about you guys. I've been around some scary people in life. I've been around some people that are pretty scary guys. And, and it's not the size or physique that makes them scary. There's something, there's a power in people sometimes, isn't there? There's a power in people. And, I, you know, I I assume from the Bible that Jesus was fairly nondescript, wasn't he? He was fairly nondescript. I mean, Isaiah 53 talks a lot. You know, he's got no comeliness, isn't he, that we should desire him. There's not, you know, we're not, He he wasn't like this kind of, you know, golden pretty boy, like again, some of these images try try and paint. Now he's just a normal guy, wasn't he? Um but I can imagine when God in the flesh is angry, when God in the flesh is angry, I think you're gonna be running for that door, aren't you? You might think that you're pretty tough. You might think, yeah, I can I could take on some people, but God in the flesh is cracking the whip. I'm out of there first, I'm like, <laughs> getting past my kids, get out of the way, <laughs> and, and that's the truth, isn't it, because, you know, this is, and, and there is like, you know, like I was saying, you know, I've seen people before that are quite scary, and there's just, there's an aura, isn't there, and especially when someone's angry, there's just an aura, it doesn't matter, you know, they could be the smallest guy in the, in the place, you know, but when they're angry, and you can just see that aura, and that confidence, and everything else, that can be a hard thing for people to deal with, can't it? it could be hard a lot of people have found themselves before you know and i don't want to go it's a bit worldly this stuff but people getting beaten up before by people that shouldn't really be able to do it but it was just the awe. it was the confidence in just that 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 basically attacking them and just people just freezing and just just being scared basically you know and and in the same way in the same way here you know this is this but not in the same way this is god in the flesh God in the flesh, angrier. People, they're not even considering, well, if we all resisted together, they're just like, get out of there. You know, he's cracking the whip and he's chasing them out. And and God in the flesh was clearly angry there, wasn't he? Because make no mistake, sin makes God angry. Sin makes God angry, doesn't it? Psalm 711, you don't have to turn there, says God judgeth the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. He's angry with the wicked every day. And the wicked should make us angry every day too. Don't we aspire to be like the Lord? Yeah, isn't he our example? Don't we aspire to be like him? And the wicked should make us angry. And if they're not making us angry, then there's a problem there, isn't there? Okay, you, again, you could turn there if you like. Ephesians chapter 4, if you're a quick fire turner. You know, a few here are fancy themselves here. But, um, but if you're not, don't worry. Ephesians chapter 4... And verse 26, 27 says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. There's clearly a time for anger, isn't there? Yeah. Be ye angry and sin not. There's a, you can be angry without sinning, can't you? Yeah. That can be quite hard though, can't it, sometimes? Because when you get angry, you sometimes feel like sinning. Okay, but we shouldn't. And Jesus Christ didn't sin here, did he? No, he had a righteous anger they he drove them out of the temple. And we should, we should also have it. There is a time for anger, isn't there? There's a time for anger. He didn't ask them politely to remove their merchandise, did he? He didn't say to them, come on, guys, if you could just, you know, I'm going to give you the reasons why and not and everything else. No, he drove them out with a whip. He's throwing money and tables around as well. Don't miss that. He was overturning the tables. Again, he didn't just kind of gather it all up in a neat pile and say, okay, just if you could, okay I'll give you five minutes to get that out. No, he, he turned over them tables. He drove them out. Doesn't this show you how serious God is about what they were doing? Or more, more, more importantly, where they were doing it, yeah? yeah? Okay. Verse 16, And said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. Make not my father's house and house of merchandise. Now, where we are standing is also his father's house, isn't it? And I'm not talking about the building, okay? I am and I'm not. When we're gathered here together, we are the church, we're the congregation, but now we've made this place the house of God, being gathered together here. And like I said, it's not the building, but, but while we're here, it is, it is the house of God, I believe. That's why we don't sell anything in this church, okay? That's why we will never sell anything out of this church, out of this building and as, as a church and we the people of the church and, and our future building or buildings, obviously we'll never sell anything because the Bible's clear, isn't it? Make not my father's house and house of merchandise. But how many churches, how many churches across the world and even with saved, saved people by all accounts there, sell stuff at churches from teas, coffees, books, candles, yeah, bi- Bibles? Healing prayers, don't know how saved those guys are. Um, tickets for music shows, bit of that. Oh, well, it's fundraising, it's all right. Or oh, selling cakes, well, it's all right because we're fundraising for some dead missionary somewhere He's having a party in the tropical land and, and apparently is working on his first salvation, which has been getting close for the last 10 years. We're raising a lot of money for them. We're selling, you know, and all the women are baking for it and everything else. Really nearly got a salvation out in wherever it was. That guy seems. Every picture of him is in with a, you know, feet up in a hammock. Uh, okay, books in the foyer. Now I, I was at a church, which yeah, they claim to believe this. Yeah, this is this is the first church that I was really involved with. Um, and, and this church, what they did is, oh no, no, they didn't sell anything in the church. They just sold it in the foyer outside the church. So they, you know, after on a Sunday, every now and again, they're like ex-pastor who was. You know, he was like a big deal because he wrote some, you know, some dodgy, dodgy books uh, justifying the NIV and the rest of it. But this this guy, so he he would then get a table outside the church and be selling his books. Well, on a deal for the church fiver, you know? Why is that okay? Oh, well, because he's not actually in the actual church bit. He's come outside the doors into the next bit outside. No, but he's still making his house a house of merchandise, isn't he? Okay, because his purpose for going now, one of his purposes is to make money. Okay, and that's the problem, isn't it? But obviously it doesn't include any sort of trading in the church at all, does it? Any sort of trading at all. So what if I was here trying to build my business in the church? So what if if after the service I'm just trying to encourage people come down to the gym or come down, you know, or or if anyone, you know, wants some... You know a new fence built or something else come and talk to me i'll do you a good deal that that'd be that'd be merchandising in the church wouldn't it yeah. okay and that's that by this that's wrong i'm making his father's house and house of merchandise now what if what what in the same way because have a look have a look um well don't worry look, i'm just going to quote for you matthew 21 12 said and jesus went into the temple of god and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. So how about if I'm coming to church looking for a bargain in someone else's business? So what if I'm trying to instead get someone at church to do me a deal, to do me a deal on whatever service it is that they offer? Oh, could you, could you do me a deal on this? Would you be able to do this on a cheaper rate? Uh, would you be able to come to mine and do this? Or whatever it is that they're offering. Again, I'm making, making his father's house a house of merchandise, aren't I? Now obviously there's a difference when there's stuff that needs doing at the church and, and sometimes you might have to discuss something but it's not about trying to make money for people or, or get a discount or anything else. But, but the truth is none of us should be coming here with that motivation should we? None of us should be coming here with a motivation to try, even if it's trying to find an employee at the church or an employer or the rest of it, don't talk about it at church. Don't just, just don't talk about it. And sometimes you might forget. You might slip into it. We're at church. We're chatting about stuff. You might be chatting about your business a bit, talking about work, and then something comes up. But that's where hopefully it's not rude to just go, oh, let's talk about this. Talk about this another day. I'll give you a call. Yeah, I'll talk about you. We we'll meet up if it's something you want to talk about. And then done, yeah? yeah. Don't deal with it at church. You make his father's house, of, house of merchandise. Because then we just, just stick to the clear command there, right? Yeah. Um, okay, because God takes it seriously, doesn't he? God clearly takes it seriously here. I mean, that's serious. He's not, well, I'm not sure he's taking it seriously. Verse 17, it said, "'And his disciples remembered that it was written, "'The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up.'" Now, it's from Psalm 69, you don't have to turn there, but the zeal of God's house should eat us up too, shouldn't it? The zeal of God's house should eat us up, and it's not just talking about merchandise, the zeal of his house. Now, zeal is a passion and eagerness. It gives a picture of being all-encompassing and overwhelming you. And so I talked a bit about that, about wanting to attend church last week. Probably talked a lot about that, actually, last week in the morning. But if the zeal of God's house eats us up, yeah, or at least we know that it eats him up, then I would say that we would treat the place where we meet with respect, wouldn't we? you would say that. If the zeal of his house eats us up, we should treat, therefore, the place where we meet with respect, yeah, because while we're here, it's a house of God. Okay, now, like I said, yes, it's a people, it's a congregation, it's a church, we are the church, but while we're here, I I see this place as a house of God. Now, have a think about this, yeah, I'm pretty sure that if we went to some stained glass windowed, high-ceilinged, Gothic-style false church, say for, I don't know, a wedding or something like that, we'd probably all treat that building with a bit of respect, wouldn't we? I bet we would. We shouldn't, really, but we would. So I'm sure if we were, uh, you know, it's someone, someone you know, some family member's wedding and you've gone along there and you're in that, you know, that quiet, dead, you can almost smell the dead men's bones in it, can't you? you know like stained glass windows a lot of it but you still there's something about it that would make you treat it with respect yeah and really it's something worldly that makes you treat it with respect truthfully isn't it okay because it's not because it's a house of god because it ain't a house of god okay and it's not even close is it in his eyes to being a house of god i think those candlesticks were probably never there in the first place you know um let alone having melted down i mean (laughs) most of these places i don't think they ever had the candlestick there now, look, I get it with this place. This building went from being somewhere where that we met for soul-winning marathons and then it slowly went to Saturdays, which wasn't officially church. And then then eventually, you know, we went to being a church, didn't we, here? Okay, and then suddenly we became a church, 14th of February. Praise God that we never have to celebrate Valentine's Day again. It's, <laughs> it's church anniversary celebration. All oh, you read. I hope I've saved you all a few quid there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so... So basically, that is the big day, 14th of February, and we just suddenly became a church, didn't we? And in my mind, in my mind was that once we're in a new building, because we know this place is going to be torn down, okay? We know that, don't we? I don't think anyone here is not aware of that. This place is going to be torn down. We know it's temporary. Um, In my mind was once we're in a new building, we'll get stricter, okay? We'll get stricter on some do's and don'ts and everything else, because while we're here, it's the house of God. When we're in a new building, it's going to be the house of God. But reading this verse convicted me that I was wrong, okay? Reading this verse convicted me that I was wrong. Because in my mind was, okay, well, when we get to the new building, it doesn't really matter what happens here so much. We want to keep it in order. But really, I I was wrong about that. Because I think the zeal of his house should have been eating me up. And this place, I think, becomes a house of God when we're here. Um, Therefore, how we behave here is important, isn't it? How we behave in this church is important. Because like I said, if we're invited to a nice-looking false church, I'm sure the kids wouldn't be running up and down that church, would they? I bet they wouldn't. I bet we'd we'd be a bit tighter about that. The blinds wouldn't be getting literally ripped off the windows, would they? And I mean, half those blinds would literally be ripped off the windows. Now, again, I'm not saying anyone's necessarily doing that on purpose. I hope not. But I don't think it would even be a possibility, would it, if we're at some nice-looking false church as a guest there? um holes wouldn't be made by little fingers in chairs okay some of the backs of these chairs have started developing bigger bigger holes okay little fingers wouldn't be making holes in chairs and don't worry i'm not just going to hit on the kids the whole time kids if you're feeling a little bit sheepish here especially those of you with the little fingers that would be making those holes um kids wouldn't be walking around and eating in the church especially in this area especially i don't think and dropping food everywhere and and, and no one seeming to really notice or anything else, I bet in a false church, you'd be picking it straight up after you, wouldn't you? You'd be watching that kid, what are you doing? You wouldn't be letting them eat round there. I bet food would be getting picked up off the high chairs, the chairs and the floor, wouldn't it? I don't think people would just, hey, ho, hey, ho," someone, you know, cleaning fairy will do it. No, it doesn't matter. I bet people would be keeping an eye, wouldn't they? That's the truth. And again, I'm not just picking on parents here. I think all of us, all of us have probably been guilty of this. The false church probably wouldn't be left with literal rubbish on the chairs and floors at the end of a Sunday, okay? I bet it wouldn't be left with literally empty bottles, just just screwed up, drawn over bulletins and the rest of that. Wouldn't just be littered all over the church to be picked up at the end? I I don't think so. Um, Adults probably wouldn't just walk into the church kitchen, make a tea or coffee and just leave dirty cafetiers, cups, in the kitchen, strewn around the, the church. I don't think that would happen at a false church, would it? Uh, if you were a guest at a false church, uh, and I don't, think, I don't think it would. Mugs and glasses all over the church, and the rest of it. No one would just be helping themselves to just whole bottles of the church's water, milk, you name it, just just taking it home, just having that in a day or whatever else. I don't, I don't reckon that would happen. I think I, I can't see that happening at, at, if you are a guest in a church. And we are really, we are guests here, to be honest. You know, at the end of the day, Pastor Thompson's our pastor. This is church. Now, whether or not we're being gifted this building, this is the house of God, isn't it? We'd have some respect for it. The toilets wouldn't have literal piss sometimes all over the seats, which they do because I sometimes have to clean it. The floor, all over the floor, toilet tissue strewn about. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't we at another place, wouldn't we go in as parents after, make sure, be careful for that? I know that's not always easy. Kids wouldn't be put, putting literal food-covered hands all over the old pipe organ there, would they? You know, going up to that Church of England pipe organ and just having a little play on it and everything else. And, and I've had to clean, clean the old piano, especially, a couple of times. have to have a, a cover put on it now. People would try their utmost to turn up the service on time, wouldn't they? I mean, their literal utmost to turn up on time and have respect for the house of God, no? And, and look, we've all been guilty of this, okay? And I know it's gone a bit quiet. I've there's not many amens now. <laughs> Amen! Oh, okay, he's gonna hit on me in a minute. But that's the truth, isn't it? And we've all been, we've all been guilty of this, okay? Every single person here, like I said, I, I think I should have been on this earlier. And, like, and it's been hard with that transition from that soul-winning area, from that area that we just met, and it was kind of like free-for-all, to then going to a church and getting those things in place. And, and like I said, we are moving to a new building, but it's not really the point, is it? It's not really the point. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and, and I think we should have all felt like, and I think we should all feel like that, shouldn't we? And it wouldn't matter if we were meeting in a tin shack somewhere. We should all have respect for the air. We should have respect for the place. It becomes a house of God while we're in here. And, and I think we should, we should try it. Now, it is hard. I understand that it it's hard with kids. Yeah? And it's hard, you know, for me, I can't keep an eye on my kids the whole time. It's hard with my wife, with, with younger kids, older kids. And it can be hard, and it's hard for everyone here, I'm sure, with kids. And you want to be able to chat and fellowship and not literally just follow them around with a wet wipe. You know? <laughs> because it can sometimes feel like that. But the truth is, I think, I, I, I'm probably positive that if we were, we were at a more stately, home-type church, we would do. And does it really change? Does it really matter? Do we want people to come in here and okay, yeah, look, we could paint the place and stuff. We're not gonna. We're out, we're out soon. But on top of that, we don't want the place to be extra trashed as well, do we? I'm sure we don't, you know? And and at the same hand at the same time, like I said, it's well we're in it, it's God's house. So I don't think it should be. So like I said, when I read that verse, it made me think about that a little bit. And you know, sorry to get on you guys, but you know, it's all of us, everyone here. And I think that we should just do our best, do our best when we're in here, have respect for the place. Right, verse 18 says, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What signs showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. When therefore he is risen from the dead, his disciples remember that he said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Okay, so verse 18. Then answered Jesus said unto him, What's thy showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Turn to Matthew twelve for a similar dialogue. So Matthew chapter twelve and from verse thirty-eight. And this is later in Jesus' ministry. This isn't this isn't, like I said, the same the same time. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Verse 39. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. So why evil and adulterous? Because they'd already rejected God, hadn't they? They'd rejected God. They should have believed the Scriptures and the words of God coming out of his literal mouth shouldn't they shouldn't they have believed the word of God coming out of his literal mouth he says here in verse 40 for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the world's belly so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and that's the same sign isn't it Jesus Christ rose from the dead the heart of the earth hell didn't he he rose from hell, the heart of the earth. And uh, this, this doc, like, for me, the Bible makes that clear. And it's, it's hit a lot, this. I, I, I got accused a while back, I think I said this before, of, of or at least, you know, it wasn't, it was, it was kind of that, that passive aggressive accusation just telling me that it's Catholic doctrine it's the Roman Catholics and this was a pastor that I you know I was at the church I didn't want to offend him I just kept my mouth shut but apparently it's Catholic doctrine because that's what the Catholics believe that he burnt in hell I don't know if you've noticed when you're giving the gospel when you're preaching it to the Catholics they have no problem with this at all okay but the Catholics also believe that he was nailed to the cross didn't they does that mean that that was Catholic doctrine? I mean, you can find similarities in many false versions of Christianity, and that doesn't now discredit the clear doctrine from the Bible because some false, false religion believes it. Now, for me it, you know and we'll look at it we we'll see it again in a second but for me it's it, it's clear isn't it he paid for our sins he died and when we talk about death when we preach death and all these people are going to preach it aren't they the wages of sin is death but that's in hell as well and it's not it's not that it's catholic doctrine it's it's from the bible and at least the catholics you know it's like like if you you know if, if you've got a, a a bullseye and you shut your eyes and keep prodding eventually you're going to get it. the catholic's got this bit right you know, <laughs> they don't seem to understand the rest of the Bible, but they got this bit right. Um, John two nineteen, Jesus said, them destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up." He said, "Destroy this temple, I will raise it up." Okay, and just just as a little example, what we we're talking about earlier. Turn to Matthew twenty six and verse sixty. Matthew twenty six sixty. And these are false witnesses it says um so they they sought false witnesses yeah they found but found none verse 60 though many false witnesses came yet found they none at the last came two false witnesses and said this fellow said i am able to destroy the temple of god and to build it in three days so a little change here and there and a false witness can sound a bit more convincing can't they a little change there. He said, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. They, dis- they changed it to, uh, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Um, anyway, back to, back to John 2, verse 20 says, Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. And, of course, our bodies are now temples of the Holy Ghost too. We, we you know, we quoted this earlier just quickly. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, What know ye not that your, temple is a, that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? So he's going to be talking about his body being the temple there. Verse 22 in John, John 2 says, When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had said." so which scripture here did they also believe i think it's probably psalm 16 verse 10 which says for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption and that's psalm 16 10 for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell which is expanded upon in in acts 2. why is this so people why is it so hard for people to accept why is it so hard for people to accept that why does it become apparently a heresy to to believe what the bible says Verse 23, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. As his miracles plural. So other than the water to wine, there, 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 aren't, there isn't another miracle recorded at this point. Now they're mentioned by Nicodemus in the next chapter, and the Galileans are aware in the following one of the miracles that he's done and signs that he's done. But why, why are they not mentioned? Well, the last verse of this gospel, John chapter 21... And verse 25 says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Okay, so Jesus did many, many things, didn't he? And it's easy to look at the Gospels and just think that's all he did. And, and, and no, he did many, many things. And even at this point, he's already doing many miracles, um, which, which aren't, aren't recorded here. But verse 23, notice it said see, it said here, many believed in his name. Many believed in his name, and and it's as simple as believing in his name, isn't it? To them, gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. On his name, now, but not many followed him, did they? Many believed, but as we saw it, it, you know, in in Acts, in the upper room, it's like 126, I think, isn't it? Okay, not not many. And at least stayed following him, but many, many believed in his name. And this in John is, and I'll, I'll, I'll highlight this as we go through, John, this is one of the, one of the many places where it says many people believed on his name and many believed and many believed. It's constantly talking about many. Um, verse 24 says, But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So basically, Jesus didn't give himself or entrust them, himself to them or basically trust them, okay? Because he knew all men, and that's a wickedness that is, isn't it? Jesus knew all men. He didn't need someone to tell him. It's saying he didn't need not that any, man sh- that any should testify of man. He didn't need someone to tell him that. He's God. He knew what was in man, didn't he? He knew what was in man. He knew how wicked they were. He knew the ones that would believe and wouldn't believe. John 6.64 says, but there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Jesus knows. Jesus knows those that believe not. He knows the is, And and whether saved or not, and Judas or not here, because he's talking, you know, obviously he's saying he didn't trust these people. Um, we're all still sinners. So whether they are or not, we're all sinners, aren't we? And being church being a church-going Christian doesn't suddenly make everyone trustworthy, okay? And that's something we need to remember, okay? Just because, and, and again, I'm not saying like, right, don't trust anyone in the church. In a way, don't 100% trust anyone, no, because we're all sinners. We're all people, we all, we'll always let people down, won't we? We will, in one way or another, okay? And I'm not saying everyone here is just dishonest and trying to get one over on each other, but just because we go to church, just because we're saved, just because we want to live for God, it doesn't suddenly make us these perfect people, does it? does it suddenly make us people that can't do a thing wrong. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware that, no, look, and that's in many ways. That, that includes, and again, I'm not trying to, you know, I did talk about this a couple of weeks ago. That means, you know, with our kids, we want to be careful. With, with many things, with, with, you know, with, with sensitive parts of our lives and other things. You know it's oh well oh they're another christian let's just start you know divulging everything and and you know entrusting them to look after me my children uh, well i met them a couple of weeks ago they go to church you know and that happens at churches but that happens in pretty much every church creche and sunday school across this country doesn't it that you literally turned up at church now drop your kids off because oh well it's a christian Oh, well, that's all right, then, isn't it? Oh, well, you know what? I couldn't be teaching them anything wrong. Couldn't be anything else untoward or, or any other problems there. Eh? You know, you're not going to get angry with your kid and give him a slap or anything. You, know, you don't know, do you? You don't know. And, and Jesus knew, though. And Jesus knows, doesn't he? He knows what's in us. He knows. Um, but regardless of that, we should still all love each other, shouldn't we? So, yeah, we shouldn't be here just uh, suspecting everyone. That's probably, that one's probably would give my child a slap if they had a chance. And that one's probably a weirdo. And that one, no, we shouldn't be like that, should we? We should love each other. We should all love each other. But, like I say, but we don't need to then elevate ourselves like we're somehow these superior people. Because I bet people from the world, you wouldn't necessarily trust how you do your brothers and sisters in Christ here. And, and we're, not, we're, we're no better than these people. Yeah, we're trying to live for God, but we get it wrong a lot, don't we? Um, but at the least, hopefully no one here still thinks that the Bible advocates drinking or buying and selling in the church. Yeah? Um, and at the least, hopefully we've got some people here that aren't going to be drunkards, um, like the rest of the world, sadly, or at least this country. On that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you um, for, for that chapter, which... Which just helps us to, gives us a, a prompt to look again at uh, this doctrine, which is important in a country like this, a country which, which where alcohol is just on, on every turn and seems to be in almost every household, sadly, um, a country where it's so pushed and promoted on us to the point where it starts distorting our view of the Bible because we want to see it through the world's eyes. Um, Help us to just see clearly, help if anyone here has, has trouble with that, has a problem with that part of their life, help them to be convicted by this. Give them the strength that they need, please, Lord, to get, to get, that, get, get, get that wicked wicked invention, alcohol out of, out of their lives, out of all, all of our lives so we don't have to look at it. Um, help us to just be convicted about the buying and selling. Help us not to, to slip back into those ways where we start talking business or anything else at church. Um, and help us to take uh, the house, the house of God, seriously. And while we meet here, it's a house of God. Help us to respect it. Um, help us all to, to take that seriously, not just here, but also when we when we move to our new building as well. And um, help us now with our week going forward. Please bless our week. Um, please just just be with us all. Guide us safely home and and, and back here tomorrow. In Jesus' name, we. Uh, sorry, next week. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.